Welcome to episode 98 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversation with Sycamore trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all of the podcast players or by going to sycomer.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. Our sponsor this week is PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. Find out more at psycharmor.org. On today's episode, I'm having a conversation with Kelsey Liverpool, founder and executive director of KidsRank, an organization founded in 2012 designed to specifically support the social and emotional well-being of military-connected children. As a Navy spouse for 17 years, moving with their family a total of nine times and volunteering in several roles at various military installation agencies, she understands firsthand the challenges that are faced by children and families of service members and veterans. You can find out more about Kelsey by checking out her bio in our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with her and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. So Kelsey, I'm grateful to be able to share your story and the mission of Kids Rank on the podcast. Before we talk about the very important work that you're doing, I think it'll be helpful for listeners to hear the story behind your mission and why it was so important for you to support military children. Absolutely. Good morning. Thank you for having me today. I was a military spouse for 17 years, Navy, and did the moving and transitioning every few years and had two children of my own who we moved from stateside and a few different places and then over to Japan for a little while and then back to Illinois. And so seeing all of those transitions that my own children had to go through, I felt like they needed some support that I wasn't really seeing in our community at the time. In having that a Navy background, you know, I have an Army background, even service by service, it can be very different. Like when you join a Navy family, so to speak, or a family member joins the Navy, you know that they're going to be out to sea for six months, a year, like that's baked into it. And so you know that there's going to be separation. Other services, maybe not so much, but that's something that you realize that you're going to sign up for when you join military families. I did not realize that. I don't come from a military. I mean, my dad was in Vietnam, but in the army, and that was before me. And and so my parents are artists. And so my background has nothing to do with military. And so marrying into this, he joined after we were together. And and so I didn't realize, you know, as a young spouse, what that looked like and what that separation and kind of isolation would be like until I was in it. And so I think you're correct. Deployment and separation can be different by branches of service. Navy, when we were in Japan, he was gone eight months out of the year each year for three years. But I think that happens in many duty stations. He taught boot camp for a while, which one of his billets. And so he was working five in the morning till 10 at night, seven days a week for eight weeks straight. And from the perspective of children, gone is gone. Whether you're serving in more traditional deployment, as people think of it, to like Iraq or Afghanistan or something like that, and kind of war zone. In As you mentioned, in the Navy, there's deployment, just consistent wartime or not. And for kids, separation 
the separation and, you know, missed holidays, you know, all of those are really important from a child's perspective. And when their parent isn't there or they're having to continue to transition, it, it can be really difficult. I really appreciate how you brought that up. As you mentioned, if your spouse was a, a drill instructor, I was a recruiter for three years um, and my children were toddlers. And the whole joke was, oh, you have your head in the pillow every night. Well, that's the only time you get to be in the house. And my children, I think, and this is, they were very young toddlers at the point. And they remember me leaving when it's dark and coming back when it's dark. And like Absolutely. our family outings were part of like recruiting events. <laughs> no, I mean that we did. We did recruiting as well. Always arduous duties. And so, you know, I did a calculation and we saw him more when he, we lived in Japan and he was gone eight months out of the year than we did when he recruited just because of the long hours. And, and that's the thing. And then when you come home from that, you're exhausted. Even the time with family can be difficult or challenging because you as the service member working that number of hours, it is demanding. Yeah, it just is. It's not for the faint of heart. And then on the other side of that, I it's something that I've been talking about a little more now. I now am divorced. We were 17 years in. And, and so this is the other side of it, having to go through this, a very trying separation. We grew up and grew apart, basically. But I felt like I lost my identity when we got divorced because I no longer had military ID. And so I'm serving these families now, but also have this internal struggle of, oh, I'm no longer a spouse. And I think that can apply to children, too. You mentioned your father being a Vietnam veteran. My father was also a Vietnam veteran, and he served five years before I was born. So I grew up as a veteran's son Absolutely. and a nephew yeah. of veterans and a grandson of veterans, but I never grew up as a service member. I had cousins right. who had, they were in the Air Force. But like you, you grew up as the daughter of a veteran, but then a spouse of a service member, and now your children are transitioning that. And I think about when my daughter went to college. She had a little bit of that loss of identity, too, because mm -hmm. now she's no longer in this military culture space and she's she's going to college with people that have known each other for 10 or 15 years. Absolutely. It is. It's so interesting to think of. I remember my kids saying to me once, we're moving again and maybe their friends have moved. And I said, no, honey, they this is where they live. <laughs> this is where they're going to stay. This is where they're going to grow up. But to your point about culture and that loss of identity, but it also is true that over 50% of our currently serving are children of veterans. Half the kids that we serve will one day potentially be in service. My household fits that demographic. My older daughter is a senior at Howard University, but she also is a Coastie. She joined last summer. Mm. And so she is now in service. It was great. It's fun to see she and her dad in uniform together because he's still active. And But they have that. And I would be interested to actually see for the kids. I'd love to see a study where they the other 50% that don't go into military service, how many of them go into some form of service, teachers, mm -hmm. any kind of educator or nurses or social workers? Because I think that, to your point, it's instilled, it's in the culture, service is part of who we are as a community. And, and so I think a lot of military-connected kids end up still looking for those spaces where they can be of service. In an anecdotal study of one that we're doing here, my daughter is a first grade teacher. That's very specifically what she did. Medically, there's been some medical reasons hearing very specifically why she hadn't been able to join. But you've mentioned how one of the reasons for starting Kids Rank over 10 years ago was to help your own children adjust to the nomadic military lifestyle, but more specifically to help empower military children and tap into the resilience, some of that, that, that transitional resilience that we've been talking about that many of them develop as being part of the military family. 
Absolutely. And I think that for a while, like resilience was a real, like a buzzword around military connected kids. And I do agree that many of them are naturally inherently have that kind of internal strength. But many of them really need some additional support to support them in becoming resilient. I mean, some have an easier time, depending on personality type, in being able to bounce back from these kind of challenging situations. You figure you know, you're starting a new school, you're moving away from people that, you know, in a support system that you're used to. And some kids, because it becomes second nature, they do it without missing a beat. And other kids, understandably, will need a little more support in that to help them adjust in becoming uh, more resilient. And I think that's where community plays a big role. Absolutely. I agree. I mean, we think of resilience, and again, like you say, it's a buzzword, but resilience really does come from adversity, right? You don't get uh -huh. resilient by not being tested, not being tried. And there are some different adverse conditions for military children, things like being removed from a family of origin. My children's grandparents, one set is in Tennessee and one set is in Missouri. And they don't have a connection to their grandparents like I maybe had when I was growing up. We're right. going to go over to grandma and grandpa's house. So that's one example of being separated from a family of origin that's unique for military children. It's really interesting. I mean, you know, military families tend to then pick up families along the way. You have to meet people that, you know, you can learn to trust. And I always laugh because my kids did sleepovers really early. Because we had to make friends with the people in our neighborhood, because if I had to go do something, we needed to know people that they can be around. But I think for military kids, like just this idea of because people like, oh, my parents a business person and we traveled a lot. That's great. But then you have police officer kids or first responder kids who may be going into dangerous situations. You have a lot of jobs that may present these challenges. But what happens in military is that it's all concurrent and very condensed. So that's what really makes it so unique is that they're having all of these experiences in a very short period of time and then having to then readjust. They don't have necessarily either the stability of home, but then their parent is in an arduous situation. They don't have this like they're a business person going to work and coming home every night, but they are traveling a lot. I think military kids, it just is this layering of uh, some of the challenges that make it really difficult. I think some of the aspects of it is very interesting that you put it that way in that many other families have different aspects of this, but all of the aspects for military children, many of them are condensed. And one thing that I've seen, again, with my own children, and we've often heard, is that military children are very adaptable because they have to be. You as a parent had to be adaptable. But my daughter, like my wife, doesn't know a stranger. She can go into a room and she can automatically connect and things like that because Military children find themselves often being the new person in a room and that becomes comfortable for them. Yeah. And then you think about like when my kids were little, it was, did you, when they were in kindergarten, second grade, they went to three schools um, in the same year because we'd moved back from overseas. Unexpectedly, we were supposed to leave in June. We left in February. And so the first school that we moved back stateside wasn't a great fit. And so they went to a third. It just was a lot. And I would say, you know, did you make you know, do you have friends? And they're like, yeah, we have lots of friends. And I'm like, okay, what are their names? We don't know. They're just our friends. And it was kind of spirit of, oh, yeah, we're going to meet people and they're going to be our friends. But that does come become increasingly more difficult 
as you approach adolescence. So like you think it'd be hard. You have to carry a lot of stuff when they're little, <laughs> like physically stuff. But when they get older and make are starting to make real friendships that are meaningful to them, the idea of it's awkward to be an adolescent to begin with. Sure, <laughs> and yeah, then yeah. you throw on top of their being new again and trying to figure out who you are you know, when your surroundings and your community continuously changes. Yeah, no, I, I think, it, and again, that's an excellent point of as we go through these different stages of development, yes, as my kids, and thankfully we got to a place later in my career where they were at least able to say, I was sent all over the world, but at least they were able to stay and we were able to like build it and set down roots through middle and high school. But again, they were going to school with kids that have been together since kindergarten, right? There was longstanding relationships being built and now they're coming in as an adolescent, as you're saying, in an awkward period of time and everybody knows each other and now I'm the new person. Yeah. And I think that part of the work and what we do and what we do with Kids Rank is really thinking about military children holistically and that all might have very different experiences being a military child. To your point, me as well, my kids, once we got to middle school or end of elementary school, we stayed put because my ex-husband and I made the decision for sure once they got to high school that we wouldn't move them. And so then Again, this is another difficult decision that families have to make, you know, that then you might go geo bachelor, geographic bachelor, so that the service member is traveling, but the family is staying put to provide some of that stability for the children. And so I think that military kids, there's this idea of what a military child or child's experience is. But again, within the culture, there could be in the community, there can be so many different variations. So if your parent was a veteran and dealing with post-traumatic stress and but military culture is still very much part of who, you know, what the makeup of the dynamic of your family is, you're still a military child for us. And we understand that, you know, military culture still plays a really big role in what goes on in your household. And so I think that there's so many different stories around military connected kids and what they're upbringing and how they, they can be. We have a lot of families when we lived in Japan, the one parent was Japanese and the other parent was maybe from a rural place in the States. And you have families that are dual military. You have families with so many different because, you know, military is a microcosm of the bigger mm -hmm. society. And within that, there's so many there's different pockets of community within the bigger umbrella of military culture. And I think that's where, from what I've understood of what I've looked at Kids Rank, is that's really taking all of that experience and all of that understanding, but you're providing services that, that are obviously necessary. It's growing more and more. We've talked about some of the benefits of being a military child, but there are a lot of needs as well, many of which Kids Rank supports. What can you share about some of the programs that you provide through Kids Rank? Sure. One of our cornerstone, where we, where it all began, were our kids rank prides. And so you think of the pride of lions or pride in our military community. And really that is a group of 10 to 12 kids that meet on a weekly basis that it's this peer to peer format, like other kids understanding the community and what you might be going through. And so we give them the opportunity to connect because that sense of belonging is really important. And then they work on leadership activities to strengthen them through skill-based learning. And then um, we do our service to our communities. So we really want the, to instill the idea of their parents serve the country and we want them to serve their communities and be reflective of that. We're, the program, our curriculum that we developed is based in social and emotional learning. We really want them to feel like they have a space where they can come and authentically be themselves thinking about 
all of the moves, all of the things that they have really a lot of times really wonderful experiences that they've had and bring them and not be in a space where they feel like they have to be judged or they can't be authentically themselves or they can't figure it out. Right. So we're creating these spaces where they can trust each other within a format that has a structure that they that they're familiar with. They have their own creed. They do PT at at every meeting. They say the Pledge of Allegiance. And then they earn our curriculum modules are based in character traits. So each module represents. So this year, the kids are working on their ribbons. So they get pinned with their ribbon, build their racks of ribbons, which again, mirrors their parents. And so this year, like the kids are working on ribbon of unity, um, adapt and knowledge. And so then they'll learn these different lessons around the character traits. And so that's really for kindergarten through fifth grade. And last year we piloted our social skills and service, which we're really getting into this year, which is our for our adolescents, sixth through 10th graders. And that takes it a little deeper. We do service projects that they can really dig into and work on. And that that connection is really important at that age, just trying to help them navigate adolescents and and really have people that they can rely on and trust in. And so the so and then skills-based learning, like what I said before, but really our entrepreneurial program is housed under our social skills and service. We have a media department. We have a fantastic leader who is a photojournalist. And so he's teaching them about photography and, you know, how to tell their story. And then we do Red Cross babysitter training and CPR because these are skills that they're able to use as they become young adults, which is really, we want them to be through our program, compassionate leaders that are well-adjusted and able to give back and serve the communities wherever it is that they end up putting down roots or if they decide to join the military, that they have these foundational skills and values that allow them to be a real contribution to their communities. And I really like that idea. I mean, one, there's the idea of a place to belong. There's a place where others are there with you. I'm thinking even back to as I was retiring from the army and I was going through my master's program, like all of the veterans found each other. Like we all yeah. started and you <laughs> tend to do that in some for familiarity's sake, but also for comfort's sake. To be able, Absolutely. And I think that's really good to be able to give military children a place to belong. But then we think about the old VFWs and the American legions back in the day, a place to belong wasn't enough. You actually need to do something. There's action or oriented events, or as you're talking about skill development, that sounds like it's a really unique twist to what you're doing. You're not just giving them a place to hang out. You're actually supporting them moving into the future. Absolutely. To your point, there was a military lifestyle survey that was given last year to families across the country. And part of the findings is that only 30% of our military connected families felt like they belonged in their civilian communities. So about 70% of military families live in civilian communities. They don't live on base anymore, like you traditionally think of. And 80% of the kids go to civilian schools. And so if you think about that, only 30% are feel like they belong, there, there's a gap there. And it's exciting. We just wrapped our, we just were waiting for our final report for our evaluation, our first evaluation last year. And 80% of the kids in our program feel like they belong in their community. We are working to give them that place, connect them with resources within the community so that it's not that they're just moving there and and will be gone tomorrow. And it, uh, I think one of the most heartbreaking, we had a young man probably four, year, four or five years ago. He was, they were PCSing to Japan. And I was like, oh, you're going to love it there. He loved to draw anime. And and they were, weren't leaving at the end of the school year. They had to leave a little earlier. And I said, oh, you know, well, your friends miss you when you go. And he said, nobody's going to even know I'm gone. 
And that was the most heartbreaking thing to me to think that he felt like he was here in his school with his peers and that nobody would even recognize that he had moved, that he didn't feel like he made an impact or was seen. And for me, this idea of of belonging really is a big concept because it gives you that stability. I feel like it gives you stability. It gives you confidence. It gives you really a way forward, in my opinion. I really appreciate that. I feel like the work that we're doing kind of starts to bridge that gap, that civilian military gap, which is really big traditionally. Because as you said, when you found your veteran people and there is that, it feels really good to be around people that understand and you don't have to explain. I always laugh because I'm like, my kids, when we move back from Japan, where we would go to the movie, they would almost every time want to stand up before the movie started because they play the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> Overseas, yeah, they absolutely do. Yeah. And I would have to say, oh, no, no, we're back stateside. We're at a civilian theater. They're not going to play the Pledge of Allegiance before the movie stuff. But it's these these little things that they can laugh about and identify with, with their peers and then, but then also share with their civilian friends because that's part of their story, part of their journey. No, absolutely. And I think it's wonderful, the work that you're doing. If folks want to find out more about Kids Rank, maybe get involved in supporting the work that you do, how can they do that? So obviously our website, kidsrank.org. But we also, so the program that I described, our prides is our local. We're only in Illinois now, but we're working to be a national organization. So we are in that phase right now of how to do that. But we have a program called Masks of Hope, which is a non-clinical art therapy program. And if you think paper mache masks, it held a different meaning, held a different meaning now with COVID masks. But these are paper mache masks that, that military children are able to, through the curriculum, we've developed curriculum that allows them to express their feelings around being military kids. So this is a program that we're taking nationally and doing in communities around the country. We'll be going to New Orleans at the beginning of next year, as well as Texas. We'd love to come to D.C. And so the idea is that we are providing a space where military kids can share their feelings, their experiences reflect. It's similar to the way military veterans have done this type of project before, but we're doing it all with the kids. We had some of the masks from our first cohort. Um, they were selected and showcased in the East Wing of the White House during Month of the Military Child last year. And so it really is such a special way. And we really can do it within civilian communities, too, within schools and really bridge, again, bridge that civilian military divide by doing this arts-based program. Absolutely. Again, excellent, excellent work. And I'll make sure that all of those links are in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find out more at PsychArmor.org. I'm glad that I was able to have this great conversation with Kelsey. As you heard, even though our military service background was different, there are a lot of similarities and mutual understanding. One of the things that I reflected on after our conversation is one of those Captain Obvious moments, which is going to come as a surprise to absolutely no one. Newsflash, being part of a military family is hard. I mean, really hard. Whether it's a service member, spouse, child, even the extended family of service members, siblings, and parents. This isn't meant to be a comparison to other occupations or a better-than situation, just a recognition of the facts that the sacrifices required by the military-affiliated community are significant. And for children, it's different than for adults. 
they don't have the autonomy to choose whether or not to be affiliated with the military. My wife made a conscious choice, thankfully for me, to leave Tennessee and join me on a journey around the world. Our children didn't. And like many things in life, that difficulty comes with benefits, as hard things often do. But not everyone who goes through hardship always realizes the benefits that could come from that hardship. Like all parents, hopefully, military-affiliated parents simply try to do the best they can with the resources available. In Kelsey's case, that was not just to support her own children, but as many military-affiliated children as possible with kids' rank, which I'm certain isn't easy either. But, as I mentioned, doing hard things usually results in benefits. The other thing that I'd like to point out is how much I appreciate the consideration that has gone into program development for kids' rank. As a clinical mental health professional, I recognize the value in psychological theory that's grounded in observation and evidence, while at the same time recognize that theories and concepts are only as valuable as their practical application. Psychology and theories of child development, in this particular case, don't just belong to psychologists and mental health professionals. They belong to all of us. As you heard, Kelsey shared how different programs at kids' rank are developmentally appropriate for the stages of growth and the needs of the kids in the program. I am a firm believer in the fact that programs that support mental health and wellness of anyone do not need to be delivered by mental health professionals, but these programs do need to be clinically informed and developed in conjunction with mental health professionals. Both of those elements should be present. There are simply not enough trained and licensed mental health professionals to meet the needs of any community, but programs that do not have a sound basis and delivery that is informed by trained and knowledgeable mental health professionals can be ineffective and, at worst, actually harmful to the people they're trying to support. Kelsey and Kids Rank are a great example of how practical application of sound principles of psychology can lead to success. So hopefully you appreciated my conversation with Kelsey. If you did, drop a review in your podcast player of choice or send us an email at info at psycharmor.org. We always appreciate hearing from listeners, both feedback on the show and suggestions for future guests. For this week's Psych Armor Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the Psych Armor course Veteran 201, Military Families. The life of a military family can be chaotic and stressful. This course provides some insight into the unique challenges faced by military families. You can find a link to the resource in our show notes. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in your podcast app, as well as on psycharmor.org forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can find hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care. And it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation and make sure to engage with Psych Armor on social media to let us know what you thought about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing and all rights to the show remain reserved by Psych Armor. Much appreciation to the team at Psych Armor that makes the show happen. Carol Turner, Vice President of Strategic Communications, who keeps me on track, outstanding guest coordinator, and support and transcripts by Emma Atherall. Feel free to share this show. In fact, we request that you do, but make sure to let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.